reason why I'm so excited is because y'all are so excited. I want to thank you for the emails and direct messages and cards. Your excitement's getting me more. I was already excited. It's like Yes, it's like kerosene on fire, all right? And, and so I, I, I hope that you're getting excited about this study of the gospel. Uh, today we're going to begin in, in Galatians, but let me quickly review. So we're, the third, we're in the third week of this year, all right? And so we, we started off the year and, and we, were, we were talking about reality. Let me remind you, I'm putting it on the screen. Here's reality. The gospel you believe determines the life you live. Everyone believes the gospel. The word gospel means uh, good news. It's, it's a truth that you believe is good. Everyone believes a truth that, that we think that you think is good. And it, and it determines how you live your life. And what we're seeking to do is to understand the gospel of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus, and, and let that determine how we live. Okay, now we, we, we define the gospel. Here it is, I'm gonna put it on the screen. Here's the definition of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin. So we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. That's the gospel. It's the power of God. It changes who we are, changes our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with other people. Uh, no more fear and death because the, the, the punishment has been, has, been, has been laid out on Christ and, and now we have freedom because he's alive. And last week we talked about the characteristics. We used the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul found in 1 Timothy. And we talked about what does it look like to, to, to have this life, this, this gospel. So there's, there's, here's the phrase. It's a Christ-centered and gospel-powered life. Christ-centered. Centered on who he is, what he's done, what he's doing. And it's gospel-powered. Because remember, the gospel is the power of God. And, and so that's the foundation that we're now building on. Now we're going to get into Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And here, as I told you last week, we would find the beginning. Paul, an apostle. And down to verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Let me give you a little background on this, the background on Galatia. The, this letter is not written to a particular church. It's actually written to a number of churches. Last fall, we studied the book of Acts. And so these, this was a part, these churches were a part of Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. And they went to particular uh, cities where they proclaimed the gospel. I want to show you where that is on the map. And, and what's, what really stood out to me I circled Tarsus because that's where the Apostle Paul was born and raised. So see how close in proximity he was to that region, that southern Galatian region, those churches. He knew this area. He knew the customs. He knew the ideologies of the people. And so th th there's, there's probably a reason why he's so blunt. And he is very blunt in his, in his comments, as we'll see as we study the, this book of, of Galatians. Uh, and, and, and I want you to understand who he's writing to. He's writing to a group of churches in the southern region of Galatia, an area he's very familiar with. And what he's writing about is about a false doctrine uh, let me say it this way, a false gospel that was being communicated to them. And so to get a picture of this real quick, go to Acts 15. I want to show you something real quick. Acts 15, most scholars believe that between Acts 14 and Acts 15 is when uh, the apostle wrote the, the, this letter to the church at Galatia. 
And what I want to show you is, is what he's writing to the church at Galatia about was a church-wide problem, and capital C. So the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, the churches that he and Barnabas had, had started, they were all struggling with this issue. And here's the false gospel that was being taught. What they were hearing and what they were being told was, well, first you've got you've to behave before you can believe. You've got to get your life right and you've got to look a certain way. And they were saying, basically, you've got to become Jewish before you can become Christian. And so there was this idea that the way the gospel works, it works from the outside in. So we have to change our behavior and look different before there can be a change on the inside. And that is a lie. The gospel teaches the opposite, that it's a change on the inside than works on the outside. So what you see there in Acts 15 is the early church's discussion You'll see it's called the Jerusalem Council is probably how the heading is in your Bible there in Acts 15. What they did was they had a conversation with the Apostle Paul and others about what does the Bible teach? And they came to the conclusion of what the Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Galatia about. And that is that the gospel changes us from the inside out, which is exactly what the council there at Jerusalem determined and is exactly what the Bible teaches. And this is what, is this is what the apostle was writing about. And so he's reminding them in, in very, very caustic terminology. He is really coming at them hard, the apostle is, to these, this, these churches in Galatia. And because they're believing the gospel, he says, it's not even the gospel. What you're, what you're believing is not even true. And he's so aggravated with them. And, and the passion there is because, and, and the passion you're going to kind of catch for me today is because the gospel you believe determines the life that you live. And so if you're believing a false gospel, and by the way, you might be, it's messing up your life. It's messing up your marriage. It's, it's messing up your key relationships. Because if you don't have peace with God, peace within and peace with others, you don't have peace. It's because you don't know grace. And it's just making you miserable. And so today, I want to talk about, we're going to start this series, Experiencing Good News. Experiencing Good News. And I love the artwork on this. I hope you've been able to see it. This is such a picture of what happens. We're coming out of death and darkness. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, we're entering into a new life. A life that is truly living. A fruitful life, not a decaying life, not a dead life. That's what we're saved from. And we're saved to this new glorious life. And it's an experience. Listen, some of you, the reason why you get bored at church, the reason why you get bored reading your Bible, the reason why you think this stuff is boring is because you're not experiencing it. It's, it's, it's maybe academic, but it's not personal, when we're talking about experiencing something, there's, there's three aspects of this. So set everything down and get your hands free, okay? Because I want to make sure we're all getting this, all right? Hands free. When, when you're experiencing something, it goes head, heart, hands. So let's all do that together. The experience is head, heart, hands. The lie that was being taught was it goes hands, heart, head. No, no. Paul, in, in no uncertain terms, says that's a lie. It's not changing your behavior to change your heart and your mind. It's changing what you believe so that you believe the true gospel, which fills you with the love of God, 
which pours out in your life love and faith because of the grace. And so today what we want to talk about is experiencing head, heart, hands, grace. Once we begin to see our lives through the lens of the gospel and experience grace, friends, you're never the same and you're not bored because it it demands so much. It's so powerful. It's the power of God. Now, one of the ways that I find it helpful is many times to look at other stories. Please understand, every good story is based on the ultimate story. Every good story. So every movie that makes good money, uh, every story that really does well, in some way tells the ultimate story of the Bible. For instance, uh, Disney's classic Beauty and the Beast. This is actually, in some ways, a retelling of the Bible story. Uh, Just real quick, so I know who I'm dealing with. How many of you are familiar with Beauty and the Beast? Okay, most of you. I'm not going to tell the whole thing, all right? It's just just too much. But but, but what's the story about? It's about a a, a person who became a beast because he, he acted in sin. And so he's trapped in his brokenness. And so what happens is someone very unique, someone very different, Belle, enters into his broken reality and loves him. And that love frees him to become what God designed him to be. See, that's the story of the Bible. The the story of the Bible, here's the ultimate story of the Bible. Let me just give it to you. You've probably heard something like this before in all all good stories because they're like the great story. The story of the Bible is, is about a princess who was deceived by a dragon, who was then held hostage by that dragon. And the king of the kingdom sent his son, the prince, to go and to fight the dragon, to slay the dragon, to crush the the dragon's head so that the princess could be freed. And then, say it with me all together, and they lived. That's the Bible. Does that sound like some other stories that you've heard in your lifetime? Because all good stories point to the ultimate story. And the ultimate story is the story of the Bible, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, entering into our broken world, living a holy life, defeating sin and death through his life, death and resurrection, and his soon return, so that we, the bride of Christ, could enter into a covenant of marriage with him, and we could live happily ever after. And and we see this in the story of the beauty and the beast, and we see it in the three circles. What we understand of reality, God's design, we were made in the image of God. But how did we become so beastly? Well, because we sinned. We sinned and it created the brokenness. We have a, we're born with a broken relationship with God, a brokenness within and a brokenness with others. Have you ever noticed, mom and dad, you don't have to teach your children to lie? You ever notice you don't have to teach them to throw a fit in the Walmart? They do that naturally. They're little beasts, just like us. That's what they're born to do. They have a sin nature. But God in his grace, he did not abandon us there. Instead, the gospel tells us that he entered into time and space to rescue us. And that's the story. So today, we're going to talk about experiencing grace. What it is, what it is, what it does, and what it demands. So let's go back to Galatians. Let's go back to our text Galatians chapter one, Ellie's going to read first verses one through nine. So Ellie, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word again. We're in Galatians chapter one. And this morning we're going to be in verses one through nine. Ellie, read first one through nine. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who call you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the, the preaching of, of God's word. So it's easy if you're listening there to, to hear the apostle's aggravation, right? I mean, he's frustrated. And, and if you want to go back and, and get a little sense of why, listen, when, when he was in Lystra, Derby, you know, they, they tried to stone him to death. As a matter of fact, they left him for dead after stoning him. Uh, there in Iconium, uh, uh, same deal. They, they tried to kill him and Barnabas. And so it, it's not as though, uh, you know, the, Paul and Barnabas showed up and they did this, you know, kind of presentation and everyone said, ah, no thanks. It was, kill him, you know. And, and so it was, a, it was a huge sacrifice for them to take the gospel. And the, the gospel took root. And these people believed. And so Paul's so excited because he's like, they've got new life. And now, because they're believing the gospel, it's going to change the way they live. And now he hears how they're deserting the truth for something that's not even true. And he's so aggravated with them. And so he's writing this letter and we can hear his frustration. These folks who had experienced grace, they're turning from, from, from the gospel. And friends, never, ever underestimate your capacity to turn from the true gospel. As a matter of fact, you and I are never more in danger than when we think we are beyond the danger of turning away from the gospel. Now, I know some of you have been believers for a long time, and some of you are in, are in strong marriages, and you're in strong families, and, and you have this sense of, oh, that would never be me. You're never more in danger than when you start thinking that. Never forget, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Take this to heart. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Some of you are standing strong in your faith today. Don't ever take that for granted. The possibility of you doing what the church at Galatia did is very real. I remember three decades ago, a, a seminary professor saying this, never forgotten it. He said, there have been much wiser and experienced people than you that have destroyed their lives by turning from God's grace. Don't ever think you are above needing the simple grace of God. Many of you are very familiar with the grace of God. Some of you, this is new to you. Friends, if you get it and you've got it, don't ever take it for granted. And don't ever think that you, that you can't be deceived to, to fall away from, as, and that's the term that he uses in, 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 the, in Galatians 3, to fall away from this good news, from this grace, from this gospel. Be terrified that you might. And the way to combat that is to experience this grace. And so no matter where you are in your faith, pray that God enables you to experience the grace. Head, heart, hands, experience grace. What does that mean? Three things to write down and remember from our text today. First of all, experiencing grace begins with truth. 
It begins with truth. It's not a lie. It's true. And, and, and in between the dashes in verse one, so look at verse one, you see Paul an apostle, then you see a dash, a statement, and then another dash. In between those dashes is the truth. And what Paul is doing is that he is, he is establishing the foundation of his apostleship on this truth. What is the truth? It's not from men through or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's the truth. That's the gospel. Is that Jesus is God, born of a virgin, lived a holy life, died an atoning death, was raised on the third day and is soon returning. His, the Father is God, Jesus is the Son, and He has come. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is that His apostleship, His life is based on the truth. It's established in the truth. And, and for those of us who are believers, who have experienced grace, it's established on the truth. And the truth is a miracle. Please never forget the virgin birth, the holy life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, miracle, miracle, miracle. The truth is a miracle. And it's a miracle that transforms who we are. It changes who we are. The, the grace is not from human activity. It's not hands, head, heart. It's heart. It, it goes head, what we believe, heart, then hands. And, and we can't save ourselves. We are beasts who needs saving and rescued. Uh, Jack Miller, a great professor and ministry leader, writing to, to one of his students, wrote this once, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Friends, we're all born beasts, but we are loved. And that love is the truth of God. And it's that truth that when we experience, it makes everything different about us. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to over the years when I'm explaining the gospel. I hear them say things like, well, preacher, I know I need to get back in church. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but getting back in church ain't gonna save you. I explain the gospel. People say, you know, I, know, I need to watch my language. I, I, need, I, I need to be nice to my spouse. I, I need to quit lying. I need to, I need to quit. I know I need to get off these addictions. I need to get out of all that. Maybe so. But the, that's not gonna, it's not hands, head, heart. There's gotta be a truth that gets down in you and changes you. See, understand, until you have peace with God, peace within, peace with others, you got nothing. Because what you've got, you're going to lose. And it will never satisfy the longing in your soul. And it will never satisfy the righteous wrath of holy God. Friends, we need peace with God, peace within, peace with others. And that only happens with the truth. We must experience the truth in the grace. Secondly, experiencing grace causes a transformation. A transformation. Paul extends this beautiful blessing, and it's the, it's the common blessing that he bestows on all those whom he writes to. Uh, to the Galatian church, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, that only happens to those who have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. As we talked about last week, until you have been transformed by the gospel, you're an empty vessel and dirty. But once you believe, repent and believe the gospel, 
you become filled with, with Jesus Christ. And then the grace pours into you and comes out of you as faith and love. And, and that's your existence. It's, it's a transformation. This, this grace alone has power. Look at this phrase in verse four. It's a very important phrase. To deliver us from this present evil age. To deliver us. It's a deliverance. It, it, it's, it's that big of a transformation. You go from one thing completely to another. And this deliverance is transformational. See, in, in, in the... In, in the beauty and the beast, there's this point where the beast begins to behave. And, and the little servants, you know, the dishes and all that stuff that, that are uh, oddly singing around. See, they're all getting excited because they're like, look, the beast is behaving. He's dancing with Bell. Look, he's going he's gonna to start being nice. And, and, and this is what a lot of people think Christianity is. Better behaved beasts. It's amazing to me how many parents bring their children to Sunday school. And once their children graduate, we never see those parents again. They leave because they don't really believe the gospel. They just want their children to behave. And I guess they think, let's scare the hell out of them. Maybe we can get, you know, spiritually and literally, and maybe we can get the little beast to behave. And that's kind of the goal. Let's just get behaving beasts. And that's what religion offers. That's what secularism offers, behaving beasts. But that's not at all what, what God wants to do. God wants to bring about a transformation. So how does the movie end? Well, the movie ends with this magic, right? There's a, there's a miracle. This, this beast becomes what he was made to be. There's a transformation that happens at salvation. We go from being a beast to once again being restored to the image of God so that we pursue and recover God's design for our life. We're changed, we're transformed because we believe the true gospel. It changes our heart and then that changes our behavior. Our behavior can't change our heart, but our heart can change our behavior. And what we see happening in that story is the story of the Bible. What God comes to do is to transform us miraculously. And, and the descriptions in the Bible Listen, there's a reason why people who don't believe the Bible can't believe what I'm saying this morning. A reason why some of you can't believe what I'm saying this morning. Because it's so radical. That's why it's not boring. What I'm saying to you, I get it. Naturally speaking, makes no sense. But if God is God and the Bible is true, and both of those are correct, by the way, once you believe, three things. First of all, you become new. You're new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All right, I'm gonna put it on the screen for you. What does it say? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say it out loud with me, what are we? He is a, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a radical transformation. You, you, weren't, you were once something, and now you're something else. Uh, another phrase the Bible uses is born again. Born again. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. It's where we get the namesake for our church. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According to his, that is God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're born again. 
there's a conversation, write this one down, John chapter three between Jesus and Nicodemus where he goes into detail about what it means to be born again. Uh, again, it's not boring. It's unbelievable if you only think about life from a natural perspective. But if God is God and he is and the Bible is true and it is, then this, this born again experience, it's a living hope. If you don't have Christ, you may have hope, but listen, it's a dying hope. It will only last as long as the thing you're hoping in. And if your hope is you, it's a dying hope because you're dying. If, you're, if your hope is some other created thing, a person, a place, a thing, anything, if it's created, it's dying. And so is your hope. What do we have in Christ? We have a resurrected Lord. We have one who's defeated sin and death, who's living. And so because he's living, our hope is living. Living hope because we are born again into it. And then this new hearted and new spirited existence. It was prophesied in Ezekiel. It came to be in Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, look at the capitalization there. I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, it's a miracle. It's not something you can do with your hands that will change your heart and your mind. It's something that happens in your mind because you believe the truth, the true gospel of God. And that changes your heart and it changes your life so that you trust and obey. Please hear me. Trust is never divorced from obey. If you trust God, you obey God. So that's the third thing I want you to catch. Experiencing grace demands our trust. And to trust is to obey. Like Adam and Eve, we'll be tempted to distrust God and believe a lie. So what, what is this lie? Verse six, at the end, I want you to, I underline this in my Bible. It's a different gospel. Look at that. See that phrase at the end of verse six? A different gospel. Um, look at verse eight. Be even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you. Look at, underline this. A gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. A different gospel, a non-gospel. Again, verse nine, as we have said before now, and I say again, if anyone is preaching to you, underline this, a gospel contrary to the one you received. There is a, the gospel and all others are half-truths at best, lies at worst, and, and they cannot save. And, and, and because the gospel is true, there, there, is, there is a transformation that leads us to trust and obey God. We're always going to be tempted not to trust God. So in Beauty and the Beast, there's a, there's a fella named Gaston. I think that's how you pronounce it, Gaston. And Gaston's a liar. Gaston comes off to the village and to all the people as this true great guy. No one fights like Gaston. No one dances like God. You know, y'all know the song. But they think he's great. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. Now he presents himself as an angel of light. He presents himself to whatever it is he thinks will get us to, to distrust God. 
This is, um, this is Revelation 12, 10. Here the term used for the devil is accuser. It says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. That's the good news. Jesus is defeating him, but he accuses them day and night before our God. Please understand, the devil is not an equal power to God, equal in power to Jesus. He's a created thing. He's an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's powerful. The great thing about the devil is he's not creative. He's been telling the same lie since day one. So think back to Adam and Eve. What was the lie that got him? He said, you can't trust God. He said, God's just trying to hold you back. See, God's got this knowledge. It's, it's wrapped up in that tree, in that, in that fruit. And if you'll eat it, not only is it good, but it's going to make you what you've always wanted to be. Now you can define your own truth. You can be your own God. He was lying. And here's what he does. He accuses us to God and God to us. He goes before God. Again, he's an angel. And in the book of Job, uh, there's a lot of confusion on demonology. How does this work? Friends, we're, this is the, there's a spiritual realm. Ephesians 6 is true. We'll talk about that later this year. But this, this fallen angel still has access to God. And here's what he does. He goes to God and says, how can you love them? They're beasts. And look what they did. And he accuses us day and night. Meanwhile, you know what he's doing to us? You can't trust that God. You can't trust him. He's going to mess you up. So what does Gaston do? As the beast is, is, is being discouraged, what does he do? He stands over and says, you really think that she could ever love you? Look at what you are. You're a beast. And this is what the devil is doing to many of you right now. Is you think God could never love me. If anyone ever knew my secrets, no one would love me. I've got to hold my secrets. I can't confess my sin. I can't. I can never let anyone know who I really am. I got to fake it till I make it. And that's the devil. He's accusing you to God and God to you because you're believing a lie. You're believing something that's not true. You're believing a false gospel. Think with me for just a minute. Think with me for just a minute. What do you have to believe? What lie do you have to believe not to trust God and to believe that it's okay to, to commit adultery or, or to live in sexual sin? What, what lie do you have to believe to do that? Some of you are doing it. You're saying, well, I can't trust God to live in a, a monogamous marriage wait till marriage because then I won't be satisfied it's a lie some of you are, are doubting God you're not trusting God uh, think with me what what lie or false gospel do you have to believe to doubt God to lie to curse to curse others to cheat to steal you say I, I, what you're here's the lie you're believing I can't trust God I, I won't get what I want I have to take from other people. I have to talk down to other people. I have to be mean. I have to be hateful. I have to be selfish or I'll never get what I want. What lie are you believing? Why aren't you? You're not trusting God. Friends, think with me. Think with me. What lie or false gospel do you have to believe to refuse to forgive or seek forgiveness from another person? Because some of you are sitting here right now and you're holding a grudge. 
And here's the lie you think, I can never forgive them. They could never forgive me. In the natural world, sure, but not in the gospel. Because if God forgave you, then you can forgive anybody. Go read the parable at the end of Matthew chapter 18. If God forgave you, if God forgave them, you can forgive each other. But, but why don't you believe that? Because you don't trust God. Uh, here's a hard one. What lie or false gospel do you have to believe? Not to be faithful, to gather for worship, to tithe your money, and to serve God on the first day of the week. Now, I'm going to tell you, guys, I'm just being real honest with you this morning. Most of you believe this lie because you don't tithe, most of you. We're a 30, 70 church. 30% of our people make up 70% of our giving. Most churches are 20, 80, so we're a little bit better. But here's why. Because many of our membership believe a lie that I won't have enough. I won't have enough money if I tithe. I can't trust God with my money. I, I, I won't have enough time if I make worship every Sunday priority. I won't have enough emotional energy if I make serving other people a priority. I won't have enough. That's a lie. And you're believing it. Because you're not trusting God. God doesn't need our money. He don't need nothing from us. He's God. You know what he wants? He wants us to know in our hearts that he's first. So we give him the first 10%. We give him the first hours of our week. We give him the first actions of our week and our service. And what we're saying is, I trust you, God. What lie are you believing that's keeping you from trusting God with that? I'm going to give you one more. What lie or false gospel do you have to believe to doubt God, to live in anxiety and fear and anger? Because a bunch of you are. You're anxious you're medicated because you're anxious and you're afraid. And some of you just live. You put a happy face on, but there is an anger that's way down here. Let me tell you where that, what lie you're believing. God didn't get it right or he won't get it right. That's the lie you're believing. God didn't get it right. What happened to me? God won't get it right. I can't trust him. My, he's going to mess it up. And so I'm anxious and I'm angry and I'm, I'm afraid because God didn't get it right or God won't get it right. And you're not trusting God. What lie or false gospel are you believing to live so anxious and angry and fearful? Your God, the God is loving and all powerful and he knows what's best for you. You say, why this pain? Why this hurt? There's sin. People make choices. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that grace can transform you and can make you new and can transform who you are from the inside out and give you life. Friends, I'm telling you, please believe me. Some of you are believing a lie. You are believing a false gospel. And I'm begging you to stop. I'm begging you to trust God. 
to believe in your heart that, that Jesus is God and that the Father has raised him from the dead and he's soon returning. And this is a journey through life under the Lordship of Jesus who loves you so you have peace with God, peace within, peace with others. Is that you? Peace with God, peace within, peace with others. Trusting and obeying God, having been transformed by the truth, believing the truth. Friends, it's not a lot of you. I know. You, you got to stop right now. You got to repent. We're going to sing in just a second. A bunch of you need to be right here on your knees saying, God, I'm so sorry. I believed a lie. I am trusting you right now, and I mean it. I'm going to do it. We're going to have care leaders that will be here. They can help you dispel the lie that you've been believing. And I want to ask you to do that today. Some of you are burdened. You are so burdened. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you are so burdened. You're so miserable because you've been believing a lie. Stop. Stop right now. Believe the truth. Be transformed by the grace of God. Trust and obey him. Let's stand together. Care leaders, come forward while I pray. God, please, please, God, please, please help, help us, Lord. Help, help the person who's here today who's never been saved to be saved. God, help the person here today, God, who, who claims salvation, but they don't trust and obey. They're believing a lie, a false gospel. They're, they're not being transformed. They're not believing the truth. God, we're not made to carry that burden. It's, it's not. We need you, Lord Jesus. Please help us. Hear those today who come and pray. Hear those today who come and talk with these care leaders. Please, God, help us. Change us. Head, heart, hands. Experience grace. In Jesus' name, amen.